Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, we have a very special guest, someone who uh, I've known for a while in the space, uh, someone who's been around for a long time here, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, I guess you could say, influencer in the space, voice in the space, uh, and also runs one of my favorite Bitcoin podcasts, Stefan Levera. How you doing, man? Thanks, Will, for having me on. It's a pleasure to chat with you again after our first chat when you came on my show. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think it's been four or five months. I think it was, I think it was at the very beginning of the year that, that we did a little recording on your podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. It's an, Oh, have the tables have turned. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've, uh, you've blown up you've got a big following now. So it's good. Good to see. It's, it's been wild over the last, you know, two, three months. I mean, it's really just kind of like taking a life of its own. I saw you just passed hundred K congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a long slog, but I think after a while you, you put out material and you kind of hit like an exponential at some point, And then like, eventually people find your old material and then that becomes like uh, a thing that people go on. But what yeah, it's was, an interesting what was space. your path to kind of, uh, you know, becoming the, the voice that you are in the space, like very early on, were you just chatting with people on forums or was it through Bitcoin Twitter that you kind of came into Bitcoin? Or? So when I came in, it was early 2013. And in those days, it was uh, Bitcoin talk forums and Reddit. That was the main thing. That was how you did stuff or how you felt, felt the pulse of what was going on. Bitcoin Twitter was barely a thing. And so I was already into Austrian economics. So I was already very aligned with some of the other guys who were writing in those days, people like Pierre Richard, Michael Goldstein, Tour de Mister, people like that. Um, and then funnily enough, I, I think I was actually chatting with Pierre back in like 2013 or 14. Basically, that's he was Pierre and Michael were some of my first friends in the space. And so I was chatting with Pierre back on Twitter in like 2013 or 14 before Bitcoin Twitter was a thing at all. Um, so, I mean, for me, I was... I would do talks at it at like the local Bitcoin meetups or things or at like various conferences here and there back. This is in 2013 and 14. And then I would write a few articles here and there, but obviously the main, my main thing that I'm known for now is my podcast, which actually only started in mid 2018. But part of that was I was frustrated with all the, basically all the shit coining and blockchaining going on that I thought, okay, fine. It's time for someone to just make a proper Bitcoin only show basically. So uh, the show, I think part of it is like a bit of luck, right? Like sometimes right place, right time. People wanted that material. At the time that I started that show, there were very few high quality Bitcoin shows. It was either you, you would either go to like the mainstream news where they would show you some random furry person and be like, oh, look, see, this is crypto, right? And they'd show you some guy in a tree house wearing like a like some furry costume outfit and be like, yeah, see, that's crypto, guys. Or it would be like the typical, oh, Bitcoin is boiling the ocean or it would be like some, so you either went to the, like the mainstream back in those days and, uh, and got that kind of crazy talk or the really fudster style angle, uh, or you went to the podcast and it was all just shitcoin shilling. And it was like, Oh, I'll pay you this much and you come on my show and blah, blah, blah. Right. Everyone knows, the, uh, knows the drill now, but uh, yeah. So for me, it's just been years and years of just consistent putting out podcasts, putting out articles, uh, talking and things like that. Cool. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to touch on with you today was just in, you know, we got right into it. So what, what kind of tips can you give to listeners in terms of building a following, um, you know, podcast specifically and Twitter as well, and, and just kind of establishing your brand. Cause I think, 
you know, you're one of the, I would say, handful of people that really have a, a strong brand in, in the Bitcoin community. Um, you know, no one ever talks bad about you, that kind of thing. You know, how do you, how do you kind of maintain, um, you know, a, a good, uh, you know, brand amongst, amongst all the community? Well, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate it. I would say for me, try to find something that's not already being done well. So here's the thing, right? It's very easy to just kind of look at someone else's thing and just kind of copy that style. And like, it's sort of like, why would they listen to you or read you if you're just doing the same thing someone else is doing? So you have to try to bring your own angle to it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means like you might have to put in a little bit more work into a certain direction to become known for a certain kind of thing. And so I think you just, this is going to be a huge, huge industry, right? So today, if you look at some of the big, you know, well-known Bitcoin shows, like, you know, uh, what Bitcoin did or my show or Marty Bent's show, Tales from the Crypt, Rabbit Hole Recap and other shows like that. I think eventually it will reach a point where it's going to be more and more specialized, right? It'll be like Bitcoin mining podcasts and Bitcoin lightning only podcasts. And I mean, these exist today, but it's, it's going to grow and grow and grow. So there's lots of opportunity for people out there who are skillful writers, podcasters, et cetera, you name it, YouTube video creators, TikTok creators even. I mean, I'm, I'm not on TikTok myself, but you know what? That's another idea. Sometimes you've got to go out to the high risk frontier and you can, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, it's high risk, high reward, right? So you can get out there and be the first into a new area and build up a name and a brand that way. So I think there's all kinds of different ways to go about it. But I think it just comes back to that idea of trying to give value, right? The idea is you need to make whatever it is you make, whether it's podcasts or writing articles or YouTube or whatever it is, you need to make it good enough that your the people, the consumers of your content will share it with their family and friends because that's how things grow. And so if you make it good enough, they will. I think with the Bitcoin community as well, just it's it's such a niche thing. And I can imagine back when you first started is, you know, you think about like peeling back the layers of adoption. I mean, it was probably like the really hardcore, um, you know, libertarian guys just eat meat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> uh, like how do you think that has kind of helped you build this solid foundation in terms of, you know, you have a really strong core following. Cause I think with Bitcoin over other communities, um, you know, it's just, our, our values in that sense of, you know, we're all here generally for the same reason. I mean, we all come in for the number go up technology. We like to all say we all stay for the, for the monetary revolution. So like, how do you think that's helped you shape a following and how can that help people, um, you know, leverage a following and something that's, that's emerging. Cause like one of the things you mentioned, and this is part of why I dropped out of school is like, you just look at the TAM of Bitcoin and where it is now, right? And so that's that's for the asset itself. And then you take all the content that's orbiting around the growth of the asset, because at the end of the day, that's what it's really doing. Um, and I mean, you talk about being involved in any company, you know, in Bitcoin. And I I, I see you're now on you know on Swan. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, you know, getting him, you know, some kind of podcast or show or just any way being involved around the ecosystem, all that's going to grow by default with your new users. I mean, like you look at uh, Plan B and Willie Wu's Twitter, I mean, Plan B's at like 850,000 followers now. I remember he had like less than 200,000. So that's just, you know, seeing the growth of, of content. I'm sure you can see your stats and see them, you know, growing in the different areas around the world. That's got to be cool. Um, but like, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. What, an interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, an interesting stat. So my interview with Plan B was the first. So episode 67 on my show was the first interview with Plan B. Do you know what the follower counts were back then? It was, I'll tell you, roughly 
I had maybe 6,000 followers, 7,000, something like that. And plan B had maybe 4,000 followers back then, wow. right? That's how quickly wow. it has gone. Um, so I think to your point that you were making earlier, part of it is about the principles of the thing, right? That do you really believe what you're saying? And do you truly you know, mean what you say? And do you really like, uh, are you really uh, here for the right reason? Because I think, and I think people can tell that as well, right? They can sort of see, do they, do they sense there's like authenticity about what this person is saying or doing the things they're doing in the ecosystem, whether it's the company they're working for, the company they're starting, the conferences they're putting on or attending and speaking at. It's, I think it, it comes back to authenticity that I think people who, people look at, you know, the, I mean, I, I don't like using the influencer words, but they look at people in the, like people in that, uh, who are known in a space and they really care about, do you really live your values? Are you really trying to, um, do what you say and walk the walk. So I think that's an important thing. Um, of course, no, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes here and there. But the, the point is, do you, do you by, by and large, show up to deliver? And do you really put your listeners or readers first? Right. So for me, even with the podcast, I always put the listeners first. I always try to make sure the listeners are getting good value out of the shows. That's what, that's what keeps them coming back. That's what makes them share the show with their family and friends because they know they can sort of trust and you build up a trust over time. And obviously it takes time to build that up. But once you've built up that reputation and that trust, you're known for a certain thing, you're known for a certain product or service in the market. And I think that's essentially how you do it. No, yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's super insightful. Uh, I want to transition to, you know, what are you doing at Swan? And, and you guys seem to just be blowing up. I remember uh, Brady posted a stat a while back. I think it was like uh, the, the volume on your platform or the, like the number of signups. And I, I just remember saying like, wow, like you guys have really, really come up over the last year and a half, it seems like. Yeah. So Swan is a really interesting story. So I recently, uh, as you probably know, I was, so up until recently, the main, I, so Swan were a lead sponsor of my show, but I wasn't working at Swan. Now that said, I was also an advisor. So I held some, a small amount of equity in Swan from back when it started in 2019. Back then it was called Give Bitcoin. And then the product shifted actually. So what I'm doing, so my role is managing director of Swan Bitcoin International. So my focus is mainly on the international customers who are signing up. And that's generally in part of the Swan private section of Swan. So if you think of it like this Swan retail, people who are just stacking sets and then Swan Private, which is generally for the high net worth and corporates and other entities who are stacking. And so the idea with Swan Private is we're giving you a guided service. We're going to hold your hand. We're going to give you a video. We're going to call with you. We're going to talk with you. We're going to be accessible to you. And this is something that we can afford to do essentially because we've got, uh, because that customer is buying a lot more Bitcoin essentially. So that's uh, been part of our, um, part of our focus is to, try and help a lot of those people because look, that's the other thing as well. Like we talk about how many followers and whatever, but not everyone's on Twitter or if they are, they're kind of not in the same circles that we are. So it's about how can you get in front of those people? And some of that is putting out content, articles, podcasts, YouTube, et cetera. Um, but there's, there's, it's a big world out there, right? There's literally 8 billion people on this earth, probably one to probably 2 billion like regular internet users who might have Facebook accounts and whatever. Twitter, Twitter is tiny compared to that. And so it's only a fraction. So that's part of it. So essentially part of what we're doing is we're just helping onboard people. And so there's a lot of uh, things that are going on in the background as well, in terms of things at Swan, in terms of helping onboard. So we have really fast entity onboarding. So entities can onboard with us really quickly compared to our competitors. And so 
that's one aspect of this. But I really, I really see this as like this whole pie is going to grow massively, right? As you, as you were commenting earlier, the TAM, if you will, of Bitcoin's market is absolutely enormous. It's, you know, we, we might be looking at like a hundred X from here, right? Or, or more. Um, and so it's, this is such a big market. There's going to be space for many different profitable players to operate in that. Uh, but I think what Swan does different and does better is our education and our community focus, right? So that's what we're known for. That's, and many of the staff at Swan are known in their own right individually, people like Brecky or Jan Pritzker with inventing Bitcoin or, you know, all sorts of people within the Swan uh, team and advisors of Swan as well, people like Lynn Alden, who actually recently she has become an economic advisor as well uh, of Swan Bitcoin. And so it's just about uh, putting out content and other material that we're trying to really take that focus on education. And so I think that's kind of what I was saying, just like with my podcast, I try to make sure the podcast is good enough that people want to recommend it to their friends and family. I think Swan is similar in that way because a lot of our customers are very happy to recommend us to their friends and family because they know that we will will do our best to educate that customer and we're Bitcoin only. We're not going to kind of screw around with altcoins and confuse them or kind of have the fee, you know, that revenue money going into like supporting altcoin development and altcoin kind of technical support. We just focus on Bitcoin. That's amazing. I want to ask you, like, how do you think through implementing Bitcoin and really integrating it into the culture of society? Like one thing you were mentioned was, you know, you guys try to get across on the whole educational side. And and when I think of hyper Bitcoinization, I think of a lot of the game theory involved with nation states and uh, corporates having to add it onto their balance sheet or funds having to at least take a small allocation to it once they're indexed against it, all that. Right. But when I think about, um, how Bitcoin changes society. And we talk about all the philosophical things about Bitcoin. I remember like the last podcast we did, we were going at it for like 25 minutes, but what do you, what do you think is, um, or what are some of the key points that really need to be driven home or, or um, like kind of courses of action that, that people listening could, could help as well in, in terms of getting Bitcoin into the, into the broader, you know, cultural structure of society. Yeah. So I think Bitcoin is going to force certain changes. And I don't mean obviously in a coercive way, I mean, in an economic way. I think the if you project out what the impact of Bitcoin will be, we will live in a world with a lot less debt and a lot more equity. So right now, debt is cheap. And that is artificially cheap because of government, because of central banking, legal tender laws, explicit and implicit bailout guarantees, you name it, capital gains tax laws, all of these things help the government retain its power and intervention into the market. What happens when you take that power away? Well, it's going to return back to, I think, a, a debt market that's not subsidized. And what does that mean? Well, I think debt will cost a lot more. I think it'll be more of an equity-based system. And so it'll be much less of a VC or kind of uh, this kind of investment culture where it's spray and pray. You just kind of put it in uh, because you're, got, you're getting all this cheap money. You need to put it somewhere. Otherwise, it's a melting ice cube. So guess what? Everyone just spray, spray, spray and pray. Whereas I think it'll be a little bit more intentional, deliberate. You will probably have specific domain knowledge and you would invest in companies based on that relationship and your knowledge and your technical skill in that area. That's an example. Um, But then, yeah, it'll impact culture in so many other ways. Because if we think about how the government has grown for example, with all the stuff that's gone on over the last year or so, the size of the state and the 
power of the state in terms of surveillance uh, and its ability to control what people think. I think a lot of those are angles where they were made possible because of fiat money. Because how else can the government fund this crazy, crazy debt? I mean, even now the conversation in the US is all about the big debt ceiling, $28 trillion and so on. How could they have gotten this far without cheap fiat credit? So I think once you start unpicking that and then fundamentally at a very you know, base, base level of society, we're going to be changing so many things. I think well, welfare and warfare statism will come down a lot. There won't be as much uh, funding for that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's really going to change a lot about what we do. I think there have been forces that also cut against, say, the family, as an example, families, churches, communities. To, and it's almost, I wouldn't say like deliberate, but it's just almost like there's all these forces or angle or powers, in a sense, pushing against like the family and community aspect. And it's been pushing in the direction of atomizing the individual, right? You're, you, 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 you're grow, you grow up and then the idea is, oh, you got to go to college away from your family and your friends back home. And now you got to travel for that. And, and, and just overall atomization of society and people not sort of knowing who their neighbors are, not knowing who their culture and their community is. These are all, I think, we can look back to the fiat impacts for that. So this is a topic I obviously, I, I love talking about. This is something I've written articles about. I talk about it often on my show. Um, Safe Dean talks about it as well. He's, he's very um, well known for this topic as well. But I think there are just so many impacts in the way we even think, right? And another example I like to use is this idea. I think maybe historically people might have had more time to spend reading full books. And then what happens is our, it's almost like our patience has come down as well because it became from books down to podcasts, down to you know uh, art, short articles and tweets. And now it's like TikTok, 30-second videos, right? That's what people, <laughs> that's all people have the patience for. So people don't have the time. And in a way, it impacts your own ability to be really good at whatever you do. And so I, was, I read this book by Cal Newport. It's called Deep Work. And that's years ago, maybe four or five years ago. I can't remember when. Um, but he was making the point, and now Cal Newport is an interesting guy because he doesn't have social media. And his idea is that, now, of course, you and I both very much have a lot of social media presence, but his idea was that it ends up distracting you so much. And especially at a time when the rewards to people who can focus and do deep work, the rewards are massive because if you're in the, if you're, because it's like a power law, right? The top, call it two or three people in every niche in the world get an overwhelming amount of the rewards that come for it because they're the well-known name and brand. They get all the opportunities coming their way because they're, it's, that, it's that power law. They're at the very top end of that power law. And so he makes that point in a way that I think you, you can, I guess, more easily position yourself there because while in a world where everyone else has really low patience, if you can focus and actually work on something productive and uh, beneficial for other people, then they'll love you for it. For sure. What do you think are some of the biggest uh, like changes to society in your mind? So for example, for me, I would say just the, you know, the, the time preference thinking for lack of a better phrase to put it, you know, I think over time fiat has inadvertently, you know, uh, incentivized the short-term time frame, you know, thinking, which, you know, you talk about materialism, um, some of these kinds of things like, People are, are, you know, when I talk to my buddies, right, and and I'm talking to them about Bitcoin, right. The first thing they, the first thing they say is, "Oh, well, Bitcoin is getting outperformed by this thing because their time preference is like a week. Like they just want to flip it and then move on to the next thing." 
uh, and then just cycle through all these, these short-term flips. Um, but I think, you know, when you have, when you introduce Bitcoin as the underlying, you know, foundation for society, because at the end of the day, you know, we talk about like Bitcoin fixed everything, you know, the money really changes everything around uh, that's built on top of it. Right. It's almost like that is uh, the the foundation that, that we build everything upon. Uh, and so like when you introduce this deflationary currency, now you're going to have, you know, people able to a free up their time. And then inadvertently now they're able to, you know, think about, okay, what am I going to do in a year? You know, for me, I, I now take care of my body since I have Bitcoin because I'm like, well, I know that, my my monetary value is going to appreciate over X amount of time and I want to be able to enjoy it. So I'm going to take care of my mind. I want to take care of my body. You know, um, I think when you introduce that thinking across all of society, it just kind of introduces, I, sh- I think Renaissance is kind of like uh, people might like say oh, that that's like you're, you're exaggerating a bit, but I think, you know, all of a sudden everyone's going to be able to work on these creative projects and do things that they're actually interested in doing because they're not running on this hamster wheel, just trying to catch up all the time. And, you know, even if someone has an idea in the current societal structure, like, you know, if you're working like a minimum wage job, like you're not going to have that free time to, to build, you know, these, these huge projects or you're talking about like art and all these kinds of things. Uh, I've seen some good pieces put out about kind of this Bitcoin Renaissance. And I think to me that that's probably the biggest shift is just, the the timeline in which in which individuals are thinking you apply that to all society and changes everything anyway want to hear your thoughts yeah I'm, I'm with you there i think that whole bitcoin renaissance idea is absolutely it i think we are going to see and this is the point um i believe Gita hulsman has made this point which is that in the fiat world because of the ability to just keep going lever leverage 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 people just keep investing but in under a hard money world, you would eventually reach a saturation point. And so as an example, these ideas like you, we might see the rich patrons who buy things and or build things for their local citadel, as an example, right? So they might be like, oh, okay, we could do with a big I don't know, hospital or cathedral or some, something. And they'll put in the time to put in that work. And another interesting idea is that if you as the patron are, in, are responsible for that idea, you would see over it yourself to make sure it is done on time and well, rather than when the government does things and they unfortunately do not have the right incentive to do the, the, the things well. And essentially they just end up wasting a lot of money or being overtime, over budget, and just not actually uh, what the people wanted. It just often is politically motivated. And so someone wanted to get voted in for this, that, or the other. And I think that's also going to be a big cultural impact. But I think to the, bro- to the broader point you were making, Absolutely. It's savings technology. I think that is something that has to be nailed. Pierre Richard was right. It's savings technology. That is the main, main thing. When you're trying to teach someone what this is, savings technology is the way I always, that's the main way I opt to teach this thing. Obviously, there's different ways to talk about Bitcoin, but that's one of my favorite ones. So I think you've just got to hammer on that savings technology idea and you have to just try to reach the ones who you can reach because not everyone can think for the long term. I think Fiat has ruined a lot of people's minds and it will change them back. Hopefully like give it 10, 15 years, I think things will switch back and it might be like a pendulum, right? So we're kind of going towards a very uh, fiat, (laughs) fiat fiatized world because if you look at all the crazy things they're doing, the lies the politicians are saying about how this $3.5 trillion spending bill is actually $0 and people are believing them. It's just insane. But what's happened is 
not enough people, and this is kind of another Bitcoin value of in Bitcoin, we say, don't trust, verify, right? Now, it doesn't mean you can verify absolutely every little thing. Otherwise, you'd get nothing done. But the point is, it seems that a lot of people have lost the capacity for rational and critical thought. To be able to cri- critically analyze what somebody is saying and just offer a good question or a good challenge, some, some kind of counter argument, that skill seems to be extremely rare nowadays. And it's quite a shame that, that it is that way. Uh, but I, th- I think Bitcoin is essentially rewarding those people who are able to challenge and ask a question about, okay, is, is the monetary system really good? Is it actually helping us uh, in today's world? And so, yeah, I think it all just comes back to savings technology because I think it is just about paying, people being able to save their value for the long term. Now, interestingly, though, it is one thing like I, I just recently came back from a trip to Sri Lanka. So I'm, I'm originally Sri Lankan, right? I was born there. I've got family there and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm in the US right now, but I was just there and I was chatting with, you know, some cousins there and some friends and stuff. And, you know, the income level in some of these countries is just insanely low. So it's, it, it's just hard for them to save because they're just living that close to hand to mouth. And I think that is confronting, obviously. Uh, but I think that's also part of the hard reality of what's happened is fiat has really hollowed out a lot of the middle class. It's made it harder and harder for people to be able to raise kids and have a family. And you notice even how the number of children people are having is a lot less. They're having maybe one or two children instead of four, five, six children. And it's more rare now to have big families. But I think a lot of that is driven by the inflationary pressures that the world has faced over, you know, especially since 1971, we've seen such a crazy pressure on things. So families have had to go double income instead of single income. Even with double income, it might be hard to make ends meet in terms of having to pay for a nanny or pay for various expenses. It just makes it really, really difficult. And I think we're going to bring back a world where I think maybe the single income family might come back. So I think culturally, that's that's an impact that I would predict. We're going to see more of that. Um, we're going to see... We're going to see not fully a return to that, but we're going to see more of a trend in that direction. Got it. One thing that you said that I really, I was like, yeah, I completely relate to this was when you're saying it's hard to orange fill some people because they just flat out don't have that longer term time preference, uh, you know, wiring in their brain. Um, and, and I completely agree with that. You know, when I talk to a lot of guys, it's for some of them, they don't understand, um, you know, how Bitcoin works. And, and once I explain to them how the protocol actually works and you can, you know, you can always tell if someone actually cares to listen or if they're like, just giving you that blank stare and then you're like, all right, forget it. But, you know, you have those friends, but then you also have the ones that they don't care because they're just thinking about, you know, the, the next week or so. And, and like you said, it's, it's not that perhaps that, you know, they disagree with Bitcoin itself, but they just aren't able to, to, get their brain to think that way. I, that, that I think has been for me, the, the biggest hurdle in terms of orange filling people that I know, um, especially, I, I, I think at least, especially because I'm younger, like, you know, like my generation has had uh, social media their whole lives, you know, they have, I don't have TikTok, but you know, 
people have TikTok and scrolling through it all day long. And it's just your brain all day is just getting programmed to think, okay, I can take little information in six second increments, but anything over that, like that's, that's too much, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What has been like the biggest hurdle for you in terms of of orange pilling people? And, you know, I'm I'm sure your answer is probably going to be a bit nuanced because, you know, it is a bit different for depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I'll tell you what, I'm not, I'm not even that great. I don't think of myself as being amazing at orange billing people, but other people seem to think I am, but I, I don't, I, I, I just regularly put material out and eventually they find it. And sometimes it's, it's VJ Boyapati's multiple touch point thesis, right? You're, you're just never going to get someone on the first go or very rarely will you ever do that. It takes multiple touch points for most people to get it. And it needs to be people they care about their family, their friends, someone who is close to them before they'll even listen. Another tip I would say is you won't understand Bitcoin until you understand the problem with fiat money. If you don't understand that, you've got no hope. So that's probably the the first lesson I would be out there trying to teach people. Another lesson I think I would take from my friend Matt O'Dell, she'll lightly. So you've just got to be able to lightly put that information out there and then be available for them when they've got the questions. That's essentially how I see it because if you come at them too hard, they won't, they'll just kind of, they'll kind of put up the defenses and shut you out and that's it. You're done. So it's, it's a mix of things. I think sometimes they just have to see you get successful with it and before they'll take you seriously. And other times that, you know, I've had people come back years later and be like, Hey, yeah, look, you were right. I should have listened to you back then and stuff. But that kind of humility is rare. A lot of people just end up, some of them get bitter, salty, right? They end up gambling on shit coins or just not telling you about it um, because they don't, they don't want to bring up this painful memory that, you know, they could have had so much more, right? That's one example. Um, so I think part of it is being good at the Socratic method. So if you're good at being able to ask questions, because here's the thing, you can't, for most people, you can't just like spoon feed them the exact answer. Sometimes you have to ask them a question that gets them thinking in the right way. And then they might start to challenge them. You know, you might, you might be able to get through to them. Like a, a common example I've heard is stuff like, Hey, do you know your U S dollars? They're not actually backed by gold anymore. And for some people, that's actually a novel insight. That's actually like a thing. So, you know, if you can ask good questions in a way that forces them to start thinking a bit more clearly about it, then you're on a good track and you might have a chance, but that said, you can't get everyone. You just got to, You've just got to treat it like I'm just going to triage. I'm going to spend my time on the ones who I can save or you want to save. Yeah. That's such a good point. You know, which which you just mentioned, it's not like, you know, love, you know, some of these, some of the toxic maxis, but you know, coming at them, screaming at them, telling them you have to hold Bitcoin. People are like, forget this. Like, I'm not listening. These people are crazy. Like, I think what you said was was really true that you have to get them to come to the conclusion on your own. So you kind of provide them with the, the puzzle pieces. You say, hey, look, here's what's going on with the current system. You know, here's what makes Bitcoin great. You kind of throw it at them and then let it kind of simmer for a little while. Then they have to come to that conclusion on their own and say, okay, like now, now I understand why this is important. Yeah. Um, one more point I would just add to that as well is, and I have this tendency as well, is sometimes we have a tendency to get too technical right? We'll be going down these like super technical rabbit holes about, oh, block time and this, that, and the other. And sometimes for people who are new, right? And and of course, I obviously, I encourage people to learn about Bitcoin, but it's choose the right tool for the job. So 
you know, think that they, they don't necessarily need to go and learn the intricacies of all these little technical nuances. You need to give them the high level facts and ideas about Bitcoin and they can then go on their own, choose their own adventure journey afterwards to learn those details, right? So the analogy I often use is, and some people get overwhelmed. So the analogy I use is think, look, if I was telling you about cars, I wouldn't say you must be a car mechanic or a car designer before you can drive one. No, most of society can drive a car, but most of society is not car mechanics and car designers. And so I think it's about choosing the right level. Obviously, on my show, I have a range of people, right? So some of them are kind of more at the more new level. And then a lot of my guests are kind of at the more very technical, like deep protocol. These They are the car manufacturers, but you've got to choose the right level and explain to people, look, you only need to know enough to be able to drive the car. You don't have to be able to like design the car and know all these technical details if that's, you know, you're, if you're just getting started. Totally. So last question, um, what is this ministry of nodes that I, I've seen it in your bio and I, I've, I've been on their Twitter before. I just want to know what that, what that's all about. Yeah. So that's a project between me and Katan. So my friend Katan, he is actually also one of my first friends in Bitcoin. So I've, I've known Katan for, since we were teenagers, right? So He's, uh, he's back in Sydney, but uh, I'm out traveling now. But he and I started this thing oh, maybe two years ago. It was just a Bitcoin education venture, like an Australian Bitcoin education venture. What we offer over there, so if people go to ministryofnodes.com.au and you can book a consult. And basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a very Bitcoin way. It's pay what you think it was worth. So you basically have a video. You book in for a video call. And nowadays, it's Katan who focuses mostly on that, although I'm still a co-founder of it. Um, Katan and I will kind of chat in the background about this, that, and the other, what we're doing with, with, the, with, the, with the project. But essentially, it's kind of like a side thing just as a way to help coach people. And so because there were times where we knew there were new coiners coming in who wanted someone who could they could just call and just get like just get some answers. Oh, how do I set up my cold card? Or how do I do coin join? Or how do I set up my own Bitcoin node? All these kinds of questions. So there's a whole bunch of material and they're on the YouTube and on the website articles and things that people can um, go and get if they're interested or book a consult with Katan and he'll take you through on a video call how to do uh, Bitcoin. That's amazing. We're going to just kind of give you a little you know, opportunity to plug yourself in. If you want to, you know, mention the podcast, YouTube, um, and your Twitter and anything else yeah. that you want to get off your chest. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. Um, anyone who wants to find me, you can find me at stefanlevera.com. And of course, if you want to buy Bitcoin, come and check us out at swanprivate.com. So we can happily take you on if you're a high net worth investor or a corporate or some other entity. Um, but yeah, otherwise you can just find me online at, on at Stefan Levera. I'm often uh, talking about Bitcoin on there and talking about Austrian economics on there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Stefan. This is a blast, and we'll have to get back on in you know a couple months and we'll just you know shoot the breeze again. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. See. Ya.